Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Tia Hopkins. Tia is the Vice President of Global Solutions Architecture at eCentire, a provider of managed detection and response services. She spent the past 20 plus years of her career in various IT and IT security roles and has over a decade of experience in the managed services. Outside of her role at eCentire, she is also an adjunct professor of cybersecurity at Yeshiva University and is currently pursuing her PhD in cybersecurity technology innovation management. Tia holds two master's degrees in security, a bachelor's in information technology, and several industry certifications such as CISSP and CCSK. She was recognized by SC Media as a 2019 Reboot Leadership Award recipient in the Outstanding Educator category, as well as the Software Reports Top 25 Women Leaders in Cybersecurity and Cyber Defense Magazine's Top 100 Women in Cybersecurity, both in 2020. In 2021, Tia contributed a chapter to the book, The Rise of Cyber Women, Volume 2. She's also the founder and CEO of Empower Her Cybersecurity, a nonprofit organization aimed at empowering women of color to pursue and be successful in cybersecurity careers. Tia, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So Tia, we are going to have an amazing time. And again, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast and even though we read your introduction, why don't you go ahead and share your background with our audience? Yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a lover of technology. I, I started out with the phone company and that just, you know, turned into a real IT career, I'll call it, you know, moved up the leadership ranks there uh, and decided to make a hard pivot into to cybersecurity when, when I decided I wanted to do what I thought was going to be specializing. <laughs> but then I got to cybersecurity and said, okay, smaller space but still pretty, pretty huge. Uh, but I do think that, uh, that I found my calling in the cybersecurity space. I, I love what I do. I love solving problems. And I just I, like, I like to have fun. My number one goal is to never take myself too seriously. So, you know, when I'm not working or teaching, um, I also coach football, uh, ride a motorcycle, you know, I, okay. I like being goofy with my kids. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. So Tia, you, you mentioned football, and motorcycles. What kind of motorcycle are we talking about, Tia? Oof, I don't know if this is going to gain me or lose me fans, but, uh, you know, my first bike was uh, an R6, uh, and I learned that I was an adrenaline junkie, and so I needed to get rid of that and get myself a cruiser. So I actually, my bike now, I think, is a great combo of a sport bike and a cruiser. I have a, a Honda Rebel 500. Okay, all right. That's good stuff. And yeah. football, what, what position are we talking and... You're, you're coaching. So share a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'll start by saying it's uh, women's tackle football, which well, I, right. find I often have to yeah, specify. I think the assumption oh, no. is either I'm coaching guys or it's flag or whatever. So I like to, you know, be specific, but oh, no, that's I, what's up. Okay. Yeah. I played for 12 years, actually. I started out defensive line. Then I went to offensive line went to fullback. And when I finished playing, I was actually at middle linebacker, which is my absolute favorite uh, by far. 
Uh, but now I coach offensive lines. My love, I just love the, I don't know. I think I love that underdog unsung hero. That's just, that's how I'm wired. Okay. Uh, and it is, it's very methodical. I think what goes into that unit, right? I think it's one of the only units that you all have to work together or it just doesn't work right out of the 11. So uh, yeah, that's where my heart is. And I, I used to coach a local team in New York. Uh, but now I coach an international team that that travels to, to uh, internationally to compete places like, you know, Costa Rica, Cancun, Honduras. And so it's it's a lot of fun. OK, Tia, I won't leave this alone just yet because that <laughs> is amazing. OK, so how and and I'm assuming a lot of this travel was pre pandemic. Yes. OK, yes. so even then, how how were you able to get involved with a women's tackle football team that ended up getting to travel and play internationally? You know, it's funny you ask that because I, it's that whole networking thing. And I think it is so underrated. And even when I was very young in my career, you know, folks that were trying to help me figure it out would say, you got to network, you got to network. I'm like, but I don't even like people. What are you talking about? I don't even <laughs> network. Uh, but then these these happy accidents started to happen in my life. And because of some conversation I had with someone that I thought was completely random, an opportunity popped up. And I was like, oh, that that's what they mean. So when it came to football, you know, I played for a long time. And with the local team that I was on, I, I became the general manager while I was still playing. Oh, and then wow. when I okay. stopped playing, I was a general manager and position coach. And then I started to go to clinics. And when this international team, the international team is um, is AFE, Team USA, um, AFE. Okay. And it's been around for a while, but it's been uh, a men's team predominantly. And I think I want to say maybe three years ago, two years ago, it's hard to keep track, right? The pandemic, I forget what day it is. But they uh, started traveling with with women as well. And a coach I met at, at, a, at a general manager meeting for, for my local league just remembered me and pinged me and said, you should come do this. And, and I went and did it and I'm still doing it. And I love it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And seeing, so Tia, before the podcast started, you know, I was telling you that I love doing these podcasts, right? It's allowed me to meet so many amazing people like yourself. But the thing that I absolutely love the most is the stories, right? We'll 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 get to you know the cybersecurity ecosystem and what you're doing, and you know you you mentioned you know that you're there at East Centire, and we'll 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 touch on all of that, yeah. right? But Tia Hopkins, football coach, ex football player, right? That is an amazing story, and you know, and and I'm sure just like folks that I've spoken to that were in the military, right? That military background helped shape, you know, the security professional that they became. You know, I'm sure, you know, very similar to yourself, you know, having that football background that, you know, it helped shape, you know, the security professional that you became. Would you agree? I would agree. And I mean, mostly from the perspective of just who I became as a person, the, the amount of confidence that I gained as a woman, right? Playing, playing football is just, I don't know that I would have gotten it anywhere else. And the way that I grew up and, you know, the things that I experienced put me in a place of low confidence, low self-esteem, didn't have a lot of friends. And so clearly that's not who I am now. And I, I firmly believe I have football to thank for that because it really is about my confidence and what I think about myself. 
and what I have to offer and what I'm willing to accept and, and what I'm not willing to accept. And those are all lessons that I learned uh, through playing football, right? Like I am, when you play football, it's you and it's the person in front of you. Yes, you're part of this. Uh, there's a play to run. You're part of a, a larger goal, but your performance is 1000% up to you and what you think and what you're going to put into it and, and how you're you're going to do, how much you're studying your opponent and, and all those things. And I had a coach say once, football doesn't build character, it reveals it. Ooh. And it, it was 100% right. You, you learn a lot about yourself on a football field. You line up timid and the person across from you isn't and you get railroaded. Either you run scared or you get up like, you know, you're not going to do that to me again. Right. right. So I was I was the latter person. Yeah, you're not going to do that <laughs> to me again. And it just really pushed me. And I learned a lot about myself that I didn't know existed. And it was also football that really helped me transition from being an individual contributor into being a leader in my career, because I was also, you know, really concerned with not doing, therefore not being able to do. But prior to getting into uh, leadership in the cybersecurity space, I had to make the transition from being a player to a, a coach, which is which is really similar. You're not out there doing, you're kind of orchestrating uh, the doing. So it helped me there also. Football has just helped me a lot and it just continues to help me. Awesome. Well, Tia, thank you so much for allowing me to deviate and, um, sharing that story. I, I know our audience is going to get a lot of out a lot out of that and be impacted by it. All right. So obviously you're there at East Entire. That's you know your your daily work. Let me ask you, what has you most excited about your day-to-day work? What has me most excited about my day-to-day work is that I get to solve problems every day, right? So there's the the problems at the the cybersecurity level. We all know the cyber cyber threat landscape is ever changing. There's new things we have to worry about every day, but there's an additional layer to that when you're consulting many different organizations and, and informing them of things, you know, how to attack the things they are thinking about, how they should be thinking about some of the things that they maybe aren't thinking about. And every organization is different. Even if the organizations are built the same way from an infrastructure perspective, maybe their level of risk tolerance is different, or maybe their desired outcomes are different. So there's always different types of problems to solve, different angles to approach them. And then when you add in the layer of being in leadership, you know, the things that usually come across my desk are super complex. And so I get to be that really strategic, you know, person that goes in and takes the chaos and turns it into something beautiful. And being in this role has taught me that that's what I love in general. I like walking into a storm and finding the sunshine. It's literally what I love to do. I just like making things better. Uh, and at Entire, the role that I'm in, I get to make things better, whether that's for my team or the company or the customers we serve. Oh, that's that's awesome. All right, so Tia, you're also a professor and you're an adjunct professor of cybersecurity at Yeshiva University. Yes. How did that come about? Happy accident. <laughs> I love these happy accidents, it's Tia. Yeah, you know, some of my, my biggest success stories are, are happy accidents. Uh, actually, one of the program directors at Yeshiva was a CISO at an organization that I pitched 
we went in to have a conversation with them to get them to purchase our services. And he was really, you know, digging in on me in terms of technology and process and outcomes. And I love those types of conversations and, um, you know, went away from it. It was a, a meeting like any other meeting. And then I would say, I don't know how much longer it was later, but it was many, many months later. I, I got a ping and said, hey, I've, I've got this opportunity and I'd love to talk to you about it. And he remembered me from that meeting and liked the way I delivered information, the way I explained things to him. Um, and the opportunity came up and I was like, wow, cool. I would love, I would love to teach. Um, and one of the things that really had me interested in it is uh, because I have two master's degrees and this is a master's level program and not knocking the two programs I went through um, at all, but my perspective on academia and where we're making a, a, a bit of a, or having a bit of a miss is that we are preparing individuals for the industry, but we're not preparing them for jobs, right? So you'll go in and you'll get this really broad overview of all the things to consider uh, in cybersecurity. But there aren't there are some programs out there that do this, but not a lot of the programs are driving the application of that knowledge. And so I wanted to be part of much needed change and change that and teach in a more applied manner. So yeah, you go read this book and do this lab. But when you come to me, I'm not going to regurgitate those things for you. I am here to make things make sense for you. I'm here to make sure you're curious. And I'm here to tell you the way that thing you read in the book actually works when you get out into the real world and the impact those things have on companies, et cetera. Okay. Well, Tia, that's, that's amazing. And I, I love the fact that, you know, what you're doing is making the theoretical practical for those students. I want to talk a little bit about empower her cybersecurity and give you a chance to share with our audience, you know, what you're doing there at the nonprofit and, you know, what it means to you. Sure. Uh, so the mission of Empower Cybersecurity is really to, more than anything, create a safe space for women of color interested in or already in the field of cybersecurity to fail, to come and figure it out and fail and try again and fail and not have to worry about backlash or being ridiculed or maybe asking the wrong person a question and, and getting an answer that makes you feel you know, demotivated or having a great idea and having to worry about someone take it and, and use it as their own. You know, It really becomes a safe place where we are able to lift each other up and support one another and you know, back to the football analogy, one of the things I love about cybersecurity is that there's a place for everyone, just like on the football field. You don't have to be skinny. You don't have to be super bulky and massive. There's, there's a place for you, no matter how you're built, as long as you're right upstairs in the head and you have the, the drive to do what it takes. And the same thing in cybersecurity. If you are interested in a career in cybersecurity and you're passionate about it, the technical skills can be learned. They, you know, they can be taught. And if you care enough about it, you can learn them. And there's a place for you, whether you want to be hands-on keyboard and in the basement and a hoodie with the lights off saving the world, or you want to be on the GRC side of things, looking at privacy and organizational risk. Like I said, there's a, there's a place for everyone. And I, I absolutely love that about it. All right. So Tia, thank you so much for sharing what you're doing there at Yeshiva as a professor. I think it's great that you're helping your students make the theoretical actually practical. Yeah, that's important. Oh, I could not agree more. All right. So you're also the founder and CEO of Empower Cybersecurity. Tell us a little bit about your nonprofit and what you guys are looking to accomplish. Sure. The, the mission of Empower Cybersecurity is to 
provide a, a way for women of color in the field of cybersecurity or interested in the field of cybersecurity, uh, a path to become successful in a cybersecurity career, whether you know, they've been in a cybersecurity role for a couple of years and having trouble figuring out how to navigate in their organization to get into leadership or interested in cybersecurity and just experiencing information overload, don't know where to start and need help figuring it out. That is literally why uh, we exist. So, you know, some of the things our members have access to are webinars, study groups. We also have programs. Um, we're actually launching a new uh, cohort uh, here in July where we offer professional development uh, curriculum as well as technical development curriculum through a, through a workforce development platform. So all in all, really, not only to provide that emotional support, but also, you know, the support from a technical and professional perspective uh, that's going to help more women and specifically women of color be successful in the cybersecurity field. And obviously one to increase the, the level of diversity in cybersecurity, because I mean, attackers are, are diverse. So if we're going to stand the chance there, you know, we have to be diverse as well, fighting the good side of the fight. Uh, but also from a representation perspective, the more of us there are in the field, then the more of us, I believe we will be able to attract. Tia, here, here and a virtual high five <laughs> to everything you just said. So I want to touch on the fact that, yes, representation does matter. And there's something else that you said that has been echoed by a number of people recently. And that is, you know, the, the threat actors, the bad guys, you know, they are diverse, you know, and, and they're, they're in every country around the world. Right. Oh. And if you saw them on the street, you know, they would look, you know, very much like, you know, what we have been taught to um, think of America as, which is a melting pot, right? right? You've got, you know, black, brown, white, men, women. And that's what threat actors thrive on, right? Is the fact that, you know, we are so divided, you know, and when you think about the statistics, right? And I saw one the other day that relates to, you know, venture capital funding, but 0.67% of venture capital funding in 2020 went to black people, hmm. right? And 0.27% of venture capital funding in 2020 went to women of color. So let's, let's think yeah. about that for a second, Tia. You know, there's an organization here in Atlanta called Women in Technology, and they just had a cohort of about 10 or 15 women, primarily single mothers, women of color, and they put them through whatever length of time the program was. But at the end of it, um, they they helped not only train them for roles in cybersecurity, but they also helped them get placed in jobs, you know, for cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So I say all of that to say what you are doing is powerful and needed. I appreciate it. And I mean, we need we need more of us, right? I, I think organizations are only as successful as, as their reach allows them to be. You know, we have, I think, 300 members, but that doesn't even scratch the surface of, of the number of women and women of color out there that are thinking about a career in cybersecurity or tried and failed because they were dealing with microaggressions or something like that at, at work or just won't pursue it at all because they don't see enough people that look like them. We have a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do. One organization is not going to be able to do it alone. So 
I just, we just all need to work together and lift each other up. My, I, I say better together a lot, but it's not just something that I walk around throwing around like a hashtag. I, I really mean it. It's going to take all of us and it's going to take all of us together, right? Not tackling these things separately. And, and let's be honest, uh, it's a good time to be doing these things, right? Because the, the visibility is, the visibility levels are high. Businesses are focusing on it. If I'm being honest, some of them are focusing on it because it's trending. Some of them are focusing on it because it actually matters. So I think the organizations that are successful will be the ones that are doing it, understanding that it's a mission and not just something that we're going to knock out by changing our numbers uh, for a small period of time. Those organizations that believe that will will do well. But anyway, point being, now's the time. Oh, could not agree more, Tia. Could not agree more. All right. So again, you're there at Eastentire. Your customers, you know, they're relying on you for help, for assistance. What would you say is the biggest security issue your customers are currently facing? The biggest issue is a combination. Of, it's it's a combination of a machine problem and it's a com- and, and also a people problem. So the machine problem is the amount of data that organizations are now responsible for protecting, whatever that looks like. If it's you know healthcare information. If it's drawings, because you're an architecture firm, whatever that is, it's becoming increasingly difficult as we take on more technology and the workforce becomes more remote and more things are put into the cloud, right? Security teams are faced with where is my data? What of this data should I be looking at? What kind of controls should I wrap around it? And then when we produce this risk report in terms of what we should do, what can I actually do. And then the people side of that is even if you manage to perfect this program that's going to protect your organization to to the best of your ability, you have to put people behind it. And so we all read the articles all the time about the cybersecurity skills shortage. And even if you are able to uh, attract talent, it's often difficult to retain that talent because the demand in the industry uh, is so high. So Many organizations find themselves with very small teams, which even if they're able to do things, you know, eight to five all day long and keep their organization safe, what happens when your team goes home or what happens when someone goes on vacation? So, you know, when we're looking at big data and having to keep data secure, combining that with the fact that teams are small and it's hard to even keep those small teams together, it really does become a a heavy problem, you know, running down alerts and dealing with false positive fatigue when you're responding to things coming out of solutions that, uh, you know, are very binary in the decisions that they're making and having to look at things to make sense of it, it becomes overwhelming. All right. And so given that you've identified those issues that your customers are facing, how does eCentire come alongside your customer and help solve those? I would say at a high level, we become an extension of, of their team. So I think being in the managed services space for a while, I've had conversations with a lot of technical teams that feel like outsourcing means they're being replaced. And I don't think that is or can be the case when it comes to cybersecurity. And often when I go into meetings and have conversations with prospective customers or even current customers, I'm very clear in my mind that while they may not know as much about our solution and manage detection and response as I do, I don't know as much about their particular environment as they do. And that's that's the kind of middle ground that we have to come to, right? You're gonna meet me here with the needs of your business and I'm going to meet you here 
with my experts uh, in our security operations center and our technology and help you figure out which data to look at. And we're also going to look at that data for you and hunt for those threats for you. And we'll just let you know when there's something that you need to take a look at versus having to chase down every alert and see if it's something real or not. Uh, and that often results in organizations just turning down the noise uh, on their security tools or just ignoring the alerts altogether, uh, which is not good. So we help these internal security teams just elevate what they're doing every day and pay attention to more high value things by being the ones essentially taking the complexity out of managing all the data and, and where the threats are coming from. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you this, Tia. I'm going to ask you to put your prognosticator hat on. <laughs> and we are going to play Nostradamus and we're going to look out five years in the future. Where do you see security and data privacy? I see them as one thing. I think the way we've historically looked at how to protect our environments has been focused on where, where our people are, where our locations are, and how can we secure this location and what do we have within the bounds of this location. But I think that given you know, borderless networks, work from home, bring your own device and all those things, we're going to shift to just looking at the data. We're going to follow the data, right? So, so your chief information security officer is probably going to become your chief data officer. And so data privacy now becomes part of data security because it's how can you secure it if it's not private and, and you're not making sure the right people have access to it, et cetera. And, and I think that comes also with, uh, and this may just be my personal experiences, but I feel like there's almost this divide between what's considered cybersecurity and what's considered information security. Uh, and very early on in my career, when I learned the difference between the two, the only difference was, and one, you had things in a file cabinet, and then the other, they were on a computer. Once you introduced technology into where the data lives, it became cybersecurity, whether that meant you were, to my earlier point, hands-on keyboard or responsible for, for privacy and, and uh, regulatory compliance or something like that. So anyway, summing that up, I do think that it's going to all be seen uh, as one thing. You'll have less silos in security teams and, and, and security program management will look very different. And I think we'll be much better off for it. One of the big problems is teams communicating and not really knowing how to communicate. So for example, you might have a director of, of infrastructure or a director of security trying to communicate with a CFO. And the director is communicating in zeros and ones and the CFO is communicating in dollars and cents, but they're both talking about organizational risk and there's a disconnect, right? Right. If these teams start to work together more and everyone understands what the goal is and and I, I love, I love, I love my my technical people, but some of us could stand to to kind of lower the level in which we communicate information. It's it's less about sounding smart and being the smartest person in the room and more about making sure the people listening to you can actually understand what you're saying, right? So sometimes non-technical resources don't want to listen to technical resources because it um, it may feel like the technical resources is not even trying to, to make it make sense. And so I just think there's a lot of work to be done, but the way that data is moving is going to force it. We're, we're going to have to work together no matter which side of it that we're on. We're going to have to learn how to communicate. And I think that'll make a huge change uh, in terms of the outcome and, and how much better we are as a force in general. Oh, Tia, you just gave one of the best answers to that question I've ever heard. And that's not, <laughs> that's ser seriously, because when you think about it, technical people do 
walk in believing their own hype. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, we 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 really are the smartest people in the room, whichever room we walk into. Yeah. Right. And and we do forget that, you know, the CFO is talking dollars and cents, as you said, right? And if we would but learn to communicate in a way that matters to that CFO, we would get the budget approval that we need that much quicker. Right? Absolutely. Because, hey, we do need that new blinking shiny box, right? We, we do want that additional resource, right? We, we want to add headcount. Right. And that CFO, if we are in a good relationship with them, and if we're buddy-buddy and chummy-chummy, you know, because our interactions are, you know, human to human and not title to title or, exactly. you know, IQ to IQ, we'll, we'll get what we need a lot faster. So you got to figure out what makes people tick. I, one of the things that I like to say a lot of things, I probably said one of the things I like to say 10 times on this call already, but (laughs) I do often say every call is a sales call. And because I am in a technical sales role, I sometimes get the side eye, especially for individuals that haven't been in a sales role and hear sales and, you know, think of the, 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 um, just the world of cold calling and things like that. And it's, it's very different from that. You know, you have a technology in your environment. Someone had to do a review of your infrastructure to make sure it was going to work. Somebody had to talk to you about how much it was going to cost. And, and, and that's that world. But what it's taught me is that every opportunity you speak to someone is an opportunity for you to try to make sure they're picking up what you're putting down. That's a sales call. Yes. <laughs> it's yes, a sales call. Tia Hopkins. <laughs> Preach, Bishop, come on. Yes. So as someone who picked up the sales bag early on in my career, I I can't remember who, but someone told me that everything is sales. Mm -hmm. And so that could not be any more true. I'll give you a prime example. Our daughter, she's in eighth grade. She's about to go to high school and she's going to be entering the magnet program at the high school, right? And so, of course, she's going to be taking AP and honors classes, and we're proud of her, and she's a good kid, and so that's amazing. But she also wants to do color guard, Tia, and she did the spring color guard with one of the local um, performing groups here in Atlanta, and she enjoyed it so much. She's like, Mom, Dad, I want to do color guard in high school. We're like, well, grades first. And, you know, you're going to have a lot of responsibility when it comes to your academics. She said, and I quote, I've got it. I'll take care of it. So Tia, where was she yesterday? She was trying out for color guard at her high school, (laughs) right? Because she quote unquote sold mom and dad on the fact that she's tight with what she needs to do and she'll be able to balance academics and color guard. And so guess what? She was right there yesterday trying out and she'll be right back there again tomorrow on Friday, you know, completing the tryouts. And so, yeah, you know, that was that, a quick sales cycle. Yes. Yes. You know? it was. yes but ma'am. that's how it works when you buy, right? It's literally the conversation. Like, I, I know what you need from me. I know I got it. Okay. And then the relationship beyond that, once you sign on the dotted line and buy is making sure that the seller is delivering on the promise. So I know now parents are going to are you keeping up school? How's your grades? And that's that's the relationship. Right. Every call, every call, sales call. I make my kids sell me on everything. My son asked me for a four dollar bottle 
of Japanese soda one day. And I said, $4. I was all prepared <laughs> to say no. Like it's it was $4 and it was like 12 ounces. Like, are you kidding me? Like, why would I pay $4 for this? He said, because it's a premium beverage. I was like, wow. Well, you know I'm going to buy that. It, this is a very silly decision I'm making right now, but you sold that. I'm going to buy that. <laughs> and and that that young man, your son, got his $4 bottle of Japanese water. Absolutely. No, oh, I, I, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Tia, we're going to pivot into learning a little bit more about you. And so the first question to you is, what is your favorite musician or band? Of all time, I just... I don't think it'll ever change from Outcast. That's that's my number one from day one. You know what? You picked an amazing performer, an amazing rap group, amazing performers. You know, I I remember the story of, you know, when they were first up for awards and, you know, people were booing them. And I can't remember if it was the BET Awards or which awards ceremony it was, but Outcast had just won an award and they were booed as they were coming up on stage. And I think it was Andre 3000 said, you know, you're here booing us and you don't respect where we came from, but the South has something to say. Hmm. Yeah. And when I tell you that phrase is so lit <laughs> and so indicative of who Outcast is. Yes. Yeah, it's not even funny, right? I you just want an award. And you take command of the environment by saying, you know what? The South has something to say. Yeah, that's powerful. Not, not, not outcast has something to say, right? But our region, yeah, our part of the country has something to say. So we're not just here representing, you know, Andre 3000 and Big Boy. We are representing an entire population of people. Mm-hmm. So Tia, yes. A thousand times. <laughs> Outcast. All right. So I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Tia, what is your favorite hobby or pastime? Well, I'm not going to give the obvious one and, and say football. So uh, I do very much enjoy modding cars, except that I'll only mod my own. Like I, I'll buy a new car and, and gut it and have all the innards in my driveway the day I, I buy it. Um, oh, wow. My okay. point, I just enjoy making things better. I don't like anything the way I buy it. I'm going to make it better. I, I also built an arcade in my house during the the, the pandemic. So I bought some uh, arcade. I don't know if you've ever heard of arcade one up. They're like three quarter caves, um, but I gutted them and, and rebuilt them all. So I, oh, wow. I do really, really enjoy just kind of just building things, modifying things. And that's one of my favorite things. Okay. All right. So question about the arcade. Are we talking like old school games like Pac-Man and Galaga or what, what kind of arcade games are we talking about? Of course we are. I, I think I might be considered disrespectful if I said no to them, right? How can I call it an arcade if uh, it's not that? But yeah, this is true, Tim. This is true. <laughs> yeah, I have four four machines, and they're all powered by Raspberry Pi, and I'm just running game emulators on them. So I do actually have a machine dedicated to vertical games, as you mentioned, Pac-Man, Galaga, Frogger, all of those. And then the others are emulator images of like Atari, Nintendo, ColecoVision, like all the, the back of the day games. There's like oh, thousands wow. of games that, that, that you can, uh, you know, the emulation space is a little, you're supposed to own the game if it's emulated and things like that. So I'm not breaking any laws. Let me say that on a right. podcast. <laughs> right? but, uh, 
but yeah, that's that's what's on them. Oh, that's that's awesome. Respect. Thank you. you. Respect. All right. How about your favorite place to go on vacation? Boring answer, but to sleep. I don't get to do that often. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Vacation for me is just turning all the way off. I mean, pre-pandemic, I traveled so much for work that taking a trip for vacation still felt like work. So when I, when I take vacation, I just like to be still. No, there's, there's something really powerful about that to you. Just, you know, being still and allowing your mind to your mind and body to just shut off yeah so i you're the first person that has given that answer but i think that's a great answer (laughs) all right tia what teacher at any level had the most impact on you i would say i think it was fourth grade it was elementary school and i'll never forget the teacher's name her name was miss green and she saw something in me and she, she said very early on in, in that school year that I needed to be in a gifted program. And she pushed me to join the math team and, you know, do math competitively. Like what, you know, elementary school, what are you talking about? But right. um, what the impact that that translated into for me was just someone telling me that I had something in me that that I had, I obviously didn't know what this meant then, but thinking back on it, like there was a differentiator, something that made me stand out when I felt like as a kid that I was just lost in the crowd. No one's really looking at me. And I think it called out for me that my differentiator does not have to be the crew that I run with. It doesn't have to be my social status, right? It can be my mental uh, ability. It doesn't even have to be uh, my athletic ability. It could be anything. But the fact that there was something that someone other than my mother (laughs) was telling me was great about me was really powerful uh, at that point in my life. And I'll never forget it. Oh, that's awesome. And and to you, Honestly, that is my favorite question because, well, one, you know, I'm a little biased because I'm married to a a second grade teacher, Uh you know, but when I, when I think of, you know, teachers and professors in my own life, everyone that I've interviewed and asked that question of has given, you know, an answer and, and you can see and hear the difference that it actually made. There's one gentleman that I interviewed, he ended up getting his PhD in engineering from Oxford University. And, you know, he told the story of the teacher who actually essentially knocked him upside the head, told him to get his act together, right? And then helped him apply and get into Oxford. And so, you know, he ended up going from, you know, bachelor's on to PhD, but he, he spoke so reverentially of that teacher, you know, and you, and you know, that that person had a profound impact on his life. And so again, you know, that's why I love asking that question and I appreciate everything that you just shared. Sure. All right. Well, Tia, we are at the place where we are going to jump in the time machine and we are going to go back to 18 year old Tia Hopkins. What advice is the Tia of today going to give her 18 year old self? There's a lot of things I would say, like, you know, be you own that. Don't let anyone take that away from you. And I think those are things that we just naturally learn and, and just have to own as we get older. Cause I say it to my son now, like, yeah, why do you care what anyone thinks about you? Don't care about that. You know, you just be who you are. And he looks at me like you're crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> what I would say to my 18 year old self that I think my 18 year old self would actually listen to um, is more along the lines of something like, Asking questions 
will get you answers, but asking the right questions will get you the right answers. And the two are very different. Yes. And, and I think that there's not enough attention paid to one, the difference between the two and the acceleration in your life and your career that can occur when you do that. Oh, Tia, that, that is a gem. Years ago, I remember someone saying, you know, there is a difference between practice and perfect practice, mm-hmm. right? And this was in relation to singing, but it's it's the same thing you just said, right? The difference between questions and the right questions. So profound. Thank All you. right. <laughs> well, Tia, this time has gone by way too quickly as, as fun things have a tendency to do. But before you go, please tell us how we can support Empower Her and what's the best way to get in contact with you? Sure. So on LinkedIn, I'm Yatia Hopkins or Tia Hopkins. Empower Cybersecurity is also uh, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, our website is empowercyber.org. Uh, and I also have a personal website, tiahopkins.com. I'm working on my Twitter game, so I don't give that handle out much, but it's, <laughs> it's Y Hopkins and I'll get better at it. So don't judge me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we are in the no judgment zone, Tia. So, <laughs> so you're fine. Again, Tia, I cannot thank you enough for coming on podcast. Um, you are a phenomenal woman, phenomenal human being. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your story. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. All right. And so with that, Tech and Main Presents family, thank you as always for listening and be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast. Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends, and thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.